Daniel, did you get the mail today? Yeah, I did get the mail. There was this letter in the mail about the U.S. Census. And I realized I don't even really know what the U.S. Census is used for. Do you know? Uh, yeah. Policymakers use census data to fund social service programs our communities need most. For the first time, same-sex couples are included in the U.S. Census, which marks a unique opportunity to be included in national, state, and local policy decisions. That's awesome. You can make yourself count by visiting the census online at www.mycensus2020.gov or by calling 844-330-2020. Hello. Hey. This is Ergo. It is indeed. I am Damon. I am Kiss. And we are here, like always, having a conversation that showcase strong voices that are reshaping the <laughs> bless it up. reshaping the culture of our city and world for the more equitable and creative during this time of pandemic uh in this time of staying in place we have launched this on the line series where we are talking to folks who are on the ground responding on the front line and today we have a very special guest asia butler is here thank you thank you i'm happy to be here thank you for having me today my neighbors must think I'm crazy because like every three times a week, they just hear me doing an air horn noise from my closet. <laughs> uh, so Aisha, let's start where we start uh, every episode with a two-part question. In this time, this moment, this season, how is the world treating you and how are you treating the world? I would say in this moment, the world is treating me good. The sky is blue, the sun is shining, grass is growing, flowers are blooming. Um, so all those things make my day beautiful. Yeah. So I think the world is doing good. Um, and I just try to reciprocate that right back to others, that same feeling of warmth and mm. love and peace. I would say right now we're, we're, we're good. The world is yeah. treating me good and I'm treating the world the best way I can. It is really beautiful in this, you know, obviously uh, hectic and unstable time, but just watching spring unfold has yeah. really, I, I definitely resonate off what you said, just the amount of calm that it brings to like, see, all right, the daffodils are up and now the daffodils are drying and the dandelions and the yes. crocus, like just the rhythms of light and the cherry tree is blooming. Yes. That kind of stuff really um, has made a huge difference, you yeah. know? It's beautiful. I now walk to the park probably daily. Um, mm. Probably after this interview, I'm going to do my walk. Um, I used to drive to the park before. <laughs> and now I pay attention to every crack in the sidewalk, every dandelion coming up, every tree. I just take pictures as I walk. I always had an appreciation for nature, but it's something about now, it more than ever, this appreciation of just walking in the neighborhood. Getting the feel of the people, too. Yeah. Do you have a favorite tree, bush, or flower that's come up in the last month or so? Like one that you stop and like soak it in? I think I do, but I don't know the name of them. I'm so, I don't have a green thumb. No, we did not expect this. You're not, not a horticulturalist <laughs> um, on this episode. What does it look like? These um, orange tulips that mm. are at Ogden Park that mm. I take a picture of every time I go past because it, it wasn't there a few weeks ago and now mm. they're sprouting up. And I just look at it in admiration every time. Yeah. So that, that spirit and that attention uh, to the beauty is 
so in line with the focus of your work um, and the way that even outside of the context of a pandemic, that that's what you do, whether it's primarily in relation to how the community that you live in thrives and survives and really celebrating that beauty. Um, for folks who don't know, one, like what's the quote elevator pitch of what <laughs> you do? And then two, for you, like how do you think about it uh, and, and, and in what lineage do you see yourself? The like elevator pitch... I started an association called RAGE, which stands for the Resident Association of Greater Inglewood, as a spark to get more people in a community like Inglewood involved in anything that impacts us or them. But I think fundamentally, I stepped into my higher self to do the work, and I just want more residents in Inglewood to operate from their higher self. Mm. And so... We do tackle issues around safety and housing, some reality things that are in front of us. But at the end of the day, are I'm more concerned, do they now see hope? Do they now see the value that they have? Do they now see the, the passion inside of them that they could use to uplift our community? I think that's really been what my, my um, journey has been. And so I just want to keep doing that. You know, I just <laughs> I just build a whole army of like folks, you know, operating from their higher self and then taking that to their blocks here yeah. in a community like Inglewood. Yeah. Mm. So, so before we even get any deeper in like the the municipal like Inglewood capital E conversation, I really want to stay there in this like transformative consciousness that I'm hearing you talk about um, and building that within community. What, what are some of the collective practices? Because I can just hear it in your voice that you got some of your own personal practices locked down. <laughs> yes. but, but, you know, maybe from that experience, what are some of the collective practices that have been exciting, fruitful, nurturing um, towards this higher self notion that you're speaking towards? The collective practices have been, you know, us saying to ourselves, what is the light that we see within ourselves? And then how does my light shine with your light? And how do we do this light brighter from a community that's dark, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we keep lighting each other's light? And so that collective practice is really all of us seeing that light in others and saying, oh my God, we didn't know that you can bake cookies so well <laughs> that Anytime we have a meeting, I need your cookies on deck, right? Oh, shout out to the cookie baker. (laughs) Absolutely. That's a pivotal political role. (laughs) Pivotal. Or like my husband's a DJ. He's been around since he's one of our founders, too, of Rage. Um, He wasn't DJing prior to, you know, us doing this work in the community and him honing into that skill and realizing in any space we're together, you know, be it a vacant lot, be it a village meeting, that we got to have somebody DJing um, because, A, he loves to do it. And that's the way his light shines in a space together. Um, we don't I don't do any like uh, meditation or anything collectively together. I just think it's the language that we talk and a culture that we've built. And mm-hmm. so once we kind of like you get part of the culture, we all collectively kind of say the same things. We all collectively speak the same language. We all know we have a shared interest. And I think that collective voice is what, you know, has really catapulted Rage to be a very important voice um, in the city of Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to be very intentional 
about how we speak about Inglewood in this conversation. Cause I, cause I imagine, right. That maybe, you know, in these, a lot of external conversations that, that you have to have, there is a, um, an assumed, I don't want to, what, what, how people be tripping, like an assumed stigma, uh, or, or a deficit based way that people. Oh, total deficit based. Um, but from my experience, really like, I look at Inglewood as a place of like leadership and example. Like I, I, I really honor the legacy of the work. I've kind of most of my life grew up right around the outskirts of Inglewood. And so, you know, a lot of why we're having this conversation right now is because of pandemic, because of quarantine. How are people responding? What is the mutual aid work? But a lot of those questions that we would ask are things that Inglewood already does right like as we talk about you know going to different food systems as we talk about having community meetings as we talk about making sure folks have groceries right like the inglewood organizations uh are are really the the model of of doing that already in day-to-day um in managing crisis so i'm I'm almost trying to just be humble and like asking how are y'all responding or or approaching right now uh because in some ways y'all already have so much of it figured out so what is changing in, in in this time of crisis? So, yeah, thank you for that. I I would just say, and I say this in a lot of interviews because I'm like, I got to hone mm-hmm. in on it. Yeah, I've always said my work was community development of the mind. Hold up. We're just going to have to take a time out because that's a bar. <laughs> what a bar. <laughs> just a, a excellent, <laughs> tremendous bar. <laughs> I'm I'm honing in. I need yeah. to trademark it yeah. because oh yeah yeah that's the only way that I've seen this work. So for ten years, I've been doing community development of the mind, all thinking about being in a space that's already devastated, right? So COVID right didn't devastate Inglewood. Inglewood was already devastated. We already had you know the unemployment, the crime, the housing, no access to healthy food, you know all the things that you know this city, this country has done in marginalized communities, right? So we we have those things. So, but it's still a sense of resilience and hope in people. And sometimes you just need to be able to figure out how to pull that out of them, right? But they have to shift their mindset. So for me, even doing this work, I had to shift my mindset because I was disconnected from community um, over 12, 13 years ago but I shifted my mindset. So when you see that shift, that's when you kind of go into action. That's when you can kind of think about some tangible things that, Mm -hmm. hey, it's a vacant house here. But if you walked past that vacant house every day and you just saw, you know what, this is just Inglewood and I could care less, then it's really nothing I could do if I rehab the house. Somebody's going to still break into it, right? So how do we shift them from not looking at that and valuing that? So... We've been doing so good with that. Everybody's rocking Inglewood gear. They're loving it, you know, feeling good about their community. And then a global pandemic hits, right? So (laughs) all of this mindset shift, all of these things, again, people feeling good about themselves, about their neighbors. Um, Now we have this like infused fear, this infused um, uncertainty. And so a thing that was constant was rage. And so when rage had to cancel a village meeting where all of us get together, 150 residents and, and build and connect and, and then we take action. That was a blow. I'll be honest. So I had to reflect on it first. Mm -hmm. Um, I was devastated too. You know, I 
You know, I'm like, what the hell does this mean for me? But once I kind of like paused, reflected, thought about our members, the first thing we did was start doing phone calls to them just to check in, you know, just see how folks are doing. And that right there, like, touched our soul because people felt so good that we, you know, people joined 10 years ago. They haven't seen Rage since and they got a phone call like, how you doing? You good? What do you need? And then we did a survey to, to test people, like, where they was at mentally um, and then give us feedback on what should we do, right? Like, I didn't want to just jump out and say, hey, you know, Rage is going to do some Zoom meeting immediately if that wasn't where people was at right now. Right. So... We looked at that since I had the time to reflect and call the members. <laughs> oh, shit, I got time for surveys now. You know, the first time. Yeah. I reflected on that. In the academic world, they call our work asset-based community development, ABCD, right? <laughs> I never knew that part of it. It's a whole academic <laughs> thing. And if they said, this is what you guys do, I'm like, oh, okay. I've heard that phrase. I never heard the ABCD. Yeah, oh, yeah, ABCD. <laughs> asset-based community development. Yeah. It feels like a disrespectful yeah, acronym, so which I didn't know you could have a disrespectful acronym before. <laughs> Academics and people from the outside... And foundation sometimes have to put our work in some box of theory of change and what theory, and you know, they, they use all that words. I just looked at it like people are assets, they're social capital. How do we work with those assets? And then it got labeled something. But during our calls, it revealed it even more. Our members were saying, hey, look, I have a laundromat. We got a limo service for people laundry or I'm at a homeless shelter and I can help folks if you know this. So they were all a nice portion of Rage members were all giving, figuring out how they can give. Um, And that was really remarkable because I haven't got the chance to call 300 people in a really long time. And I was like, wow, this base, these people Exactly what we've been saying about being this social capital for our community and being the the real folks who could really help people shift their minds around fear or make sure people have resources was really like the premise of uh, of the majority of our members. And so finding that out, we utilized that, right? So people said they wanted to make masks. We tapped into them, right? Or if people said, okay, like I'll do, I'll DJ for the members, right? Virtually, get online, DJ, let them feel good, cool. Um, I, some folks are doctors. Hey, I, I could do some mental health, mental wellness, you know, training. So that was like our first thing. And so we just been like, you know, dropping those things here and there in the last like six or seven weeks. So what are the... Uh the roles that have emerged out of those conversations uh, that y'all are doing differently than you were pre-pandemic. So what what new has entered into the equation in terms of what y'all are doing day to day? So people had access to stream our meetings and people said, you know, hey, sometimes I can't make the meeting. Could you stream? So that was new for us to do a Zoom members only meeting. Definitely new to do virtual parties, you know, like, you know, five. My husband used to DJ at um, Whole Foods Inglewood and we used mm-hmm. to all gather there for five after five. So now we do a virtual five after five. So that has mm-hmm. emerged. One of my members does animation. I never saw all his work. So now he's creating some virtual animation things for us. Um, so it's just been those type of things that 
have emerged. And then folks who are just stepped up um, to help with food distribution, to help with their neighbors, who wasn't active or as active um, with Rage before, or either brand new to Rage. And now I see them because now we're on a weekly basis of delivering groceries throughout the community. Yeah, I want to talk about that program in particular, um, because I think just like when people say like breaking bread and sitting down and eating together is one of the most like intimate community building things you can do. Mm -hmm. I also think like nothing illustrates where the devastation and the like um, artificial scarcity exists in our world better than food. Um, Yeah. and, And so in your building of that system of food distribution, which, correct me if I'm wrong, y'all were already doing something around that before, right? Or was that something no, that emerged in this? No, that emerged. I now run a whole entire <laughs> <laughs> factory and shipment assembly line. And I didn't yeah. think about the roles, but the roles have emerged as packers, mm-hmm. um, drivers. I mean, it's a whole system that yeah. we had to develop um, fairly quickly. Um, within the last, you know, six or seven weeks. So in building that system and in, you know, dropping off this food, what have you learned or what's emerged about the impacts of food disparity and food apartheid uh, and also just about people's relationship to food? Now, the work that we've done around food never was to the point of folks who essentially just needed groceries delivered to Mm -hmm. to their door. We worked with Whole Cities Foundation to help do um, grant making. You know, it's called participatory philanthropy, where a philanthropist or a foundation works with a community group. It's it's a new model. Most people don't do it. Um, and we help them figure out how our grants deploy to organizations who want to give um access to fresh food. And then we worked with um, Iman, Inner City Muslim Action Network, around the fresh uh, market corner stores, right? Like Mm -hmm. how do our corner stores in Inglewood have, you know, more presentable, you know, assets. So that's been the most of our like food work. Um, This is where people are completing a survey or calling us or contacting their aldermen, mostly seniors who Mm -hmm. are saying, I'm not going shopping or I'm ill or I'm caring for someone and I'm not leaving. And we didn't realize, first of all, they didn't know really rage because we're, you know, we're kind of tech savvy. Like I said, our members are most of the people without barriers. So we really, you know, we touched the masses through different things in the summer, but we just didn't know how vulnerable, you know, our neighborhood really was. I mean, Mm. to, to this extent. And so that has emerged. And then the notoriety of who we are, the things that we put in the packages, the, the organizing that we're still doing, um, even through this kind of essential need that is being met, um, has just, I think, catapulted us on a whole nother level where word of mouth is going. Because these, these are folks who are not on Facebook. These are folks who are not, you know, on Instagram. These are just folks here who need help and then they saw what we was able to produce and now they're telling their neighbor, their the neighbor. So our reach, I think, has deepened mm-hmm. in Inglewood, which is something that we wanted to do anyway, but we were going to organize around the census to do it. Mm-hmm. And then that got shifted with more virtual organizing with the census, but it's been rewarding for us. More people are joining 
They want to be involved. Their grandma didn't told them. I don't know who these people are, but they didn't came and they <laughs> they gave us. You know, we got masks, we got gloves. They gave us census information. We know where to get tested at. Yeah. We got oatmeal. We got bread. You know, and then so those messages and those applications are increasing daily now. Grandmas are the best influencers. <laughs> It's yeah. really true. Because if, if your grandma tells you to do something, you're probably yeah, going to do it. I got to go do this right, thing. Oh, they join it. Like, I, I'll, t- I'll, I'll listen to grandma over someone on IG any day of the week. If my grandma says to listen to someone's SoundCloud, I will listen to it. No, that's, but, but seriously, that, that's really, you know, just beautiful to hear and, and um, a powerful example of like, you know, our rich organizing tradition. So again, I'm, there's just a, a sense of humility I have in this conversation. Um, but also I'm hearing all of these structural realities that are, are coming out. Um, and that's something I'm really interested in is like a, an ironic opportunity of, of crisis. So, you know, we've, yep. we've talked about internet access. We've talked about food. Um, you know, we're speaking around age and elder care or just the way you named like a general devastation that, mm-hmm. you know, I think our society is aware that happens in these areas where poverty and black people are concentrated. Um, That's right. And so what I hear is that from the response from what y'all have already built has been this amazing organizing that has developed community within these like social cultural practices. And so I'm curious, like to move to the political realm whether for you as somebody who has now organized this massive distribution system that you didn't know you were about to be doing, uh, your team or your, your members and constituents or the people that you are, you are, you know, benefiting with this aid. Are any of the like political realities being articulated more concretely or more explicitly because all of the vulnerabilities are now interconnected, right? Like we could talk, we used to be able to talk about housing in a silo or talk about food in a silo or talk about, you know, uh, those with pre-existing conditions in a silo. But now all of those things are overlapping so immediately that it it is impossible to separate. Um, And so with that, as somewhat of a leading question, (laughs) how has... I'm following you. I'm with you. I'm following you. If he's going to lead, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm so, going down the path. So how has this, this you know, um, crucial transformational organizing led towards like the, the, the naming of our political reality for your folks? Yeah. So even with the food distribution, this was a, a foundation, Chicago Beyond, who had partnered with Any City um, Muslim Action Network to kind of basically have us as also like smaller distributors of the food. They mm-hmm. get 30 2,000 pounds of food and we're taking some of that lift off. So in that instance of like this whole philanthropist, politicians, political landscape, everybody's like, oh, we got to help like immediately. Not to say that Chicago Beyond did that because they were already working, but we're getting that from all over, right? Everybody's swarming in to help. And we've already known we needed help, right? So now I have to pull your card because you already knew that we didn't have access to food. You already knew about the housing situation. Um, So we got to be real strategic on how we receive that help, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, And to make sure that it's sustainable long-term, regardless of this pandemic. Um, The beauty about this is those groups, Iman, Teamwork Inglewood, E.G. Woods, and Rage are finalists for the Chicago Prize, right? This happened pre-COVID. So we're in the running to get $10 million to do this massive like neighborhood transformation at the hub at 63rd and Racine. 
Now, a part of that, we have a vacant train line, the Green Line Station on Racine, just closed down in the Daily Administration 25 years ago. People fought. They said it was being renovated, never reopened back up. He was a fan of a closed down. Yeah, he was. We have a closed down school right there at Woods Academy. Um, used to be called Gershwin, right on 62nd and Racine. Um, so our plan had included all of these things anyway, right? And so we, regardless of the prize, which we'll find out if we get that or not, this was already a very deep neighborhood, gra- grassroots-led plan that addressed food, business, economics, housing, a whole nine. So yeah, we are going right to our governor. We're going right to our mayor. And because of some of the work include folks who are getting out of jail, we now have really catapulted those vacant school as something that needs to be remediated and fixed up immediately. And so we're asking for all these kind of COVID relief dollars to do something that's going to be long term and to have this be a space that is workforce, housing uh, for some of those brothers that's going to come back, you know, in Inglewood once they're released. Um, but also to say if, it, if you see it as an urgency now, We've been saying that this has been an urgency for the past 30 years. Right. It's just that a pandemic revealed that to our political landscape. But we've been saying that. And so we're, we're, we're pulling their coats right now and um, being very aggressive and saying this COVID relief money that you look at as a temporary fix, we have a long term fix. So we need about $30 million at this point. So one of the things, even before all this that I knew about your work, is the very, and it's consistent with how you're talking about it, this very intentional uh, attention to development with a balance of making sure that it doesn't lead to displacement or or, or that the development is for the people who are there. That's right. Um, We know this framework of like disaster capitalism, right? Where like when there is a crisis like this, it's an opportunity for people to swoop in and then extract more ultimately. So one, are there any tactics of that that you've seen people coming in and that money that's, you know, being floated? Uh, And two, maybe less directly, like, how are y'all staying vigilant for that kind of uh, threat? Yeah, I haven't seen that swoon in yet. I'm watching the city. Everybody is still kind of in disaster Mm -hmm. mode and I haven't heard any like new initiatives that could be perceived as something else. I say I'll watch closely this Invest in Southwest initiative because that might be something that is a a play, you know, basically trying to swim in real quick and, you know, forget community engagement, forget that we, we just need this done. Um, and I'm seeing some fast track um, demolitions of spaces and some some things. Um, the city is working over, over hard <laughs> um, yeah. in the area, but we are watching it. We know exactly where they are. We've been in conversations with them. We have a conversation with them next week, actually, to talk about Invest in Southwest um, before they try to, you know, kind of push in really quickly on something that we haven't discussed or talked about or vetted through the community. Um, on the second piece, I, I was bold enough. I mean, we, I was over the housing task force of this quality of life plan 
Um, I'm a real estate person. I bought, I guess you could say, I bought my house in 2002. I bought the building I'm in in like 2004. I bought my lot in 2014. So we had this whole program called Buy the Block. And it was just because of that where the, the campaign was to get more people to buy and live here, right? Because right now, if we would talk about gentrification and talk about you know controlling the market and pushing people out, that's happening already. Because 73% of the people here are owners outside of this community. Mm. Wow. So, so let me just make sure I understand. Yes. 73% of the property in Englewood is owned by people who don't live in Englewood. That is correct. How, how did y'all come to that? That's really significant to know. And I've been trying to figure out how to do that in other neighborhoods. How did y'all get yeah. to that number and understand the, that? The good part about it through the data that we did through the quality of life plan We've been able to glean that data. We worked with housing partners. Um, you know, just in general, the owner occupancy rate is typically really low in, in most cities. I mean, this is a city of renters. We get that. But a community like Inglewood that is a buyer's market really right. paves the way for someone making thirty, forty thousand 40000 to actually have property, right, to actually buy a home. And so... Those are like the folks we were targeting because, you know, we know the devastation of Inglewood has made people not want to become homeowners here. We don't have a lot of amenities. Um, we lost about 13 schools here. Um, so it's a hard sell to get people to buy and own. But again, if you're building a culture and doing community development of the mind, you show them things, you, you reiterate things, you show them stats, you let them know that it's possible. So that was one program that was was actually starting the week of the shelter at home that got put on the back burner. We were given a thousand dollars towards closing costs for that. But I went a step further and started my own development company for that reason alone. I said, you know, we were in these housing task force meetings and people were like, you know, what about local developers and how could we make sure that we're not displaced? And those kind of conversations came up. And every time we looked around, it was no local developer in the room because most likely a local developer is not trying to hear a bunch of community people. They're doing their projects, they're making their money, they're flipping and they're gone. So I started the Inglewood Development Group back in 2018. Um, I have one project that I'm working on, rehabbing on Bishop. It's almost done, but it's a community project. So it wasn't a quick flip and it's not going to be a quick flip. It's really to get an owner-occupied person in that space and try to do that, you know, one house at a time. And I mean, it's a slow process, but this work ain't quick. Yeah. Uh, it's never been quick. So yeah, that's phenomenal. I, I feel like, man, I, I hate the English language. I feel like we don't have have enough words, right? Because what you're <laughs> describing um, and what you created, this like cooperative communal model, um, but using the word of development, right? Like in our like normal world, what you were describing is not what a developer is doing. Uh, exactly. <laughs> no, it, 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 it is radically different. Um, and so as you occupying that space and like inhabiting that language, what are the distinctions you see that like can be the fundamentals of how we know, how we know what developing our spaces and determining how we live in our communities should look like, right? Because that's what developing means is managing yeah. space. But what's happening is this whole other process. So I'm just really interested in hearing you describe something that is so drastically different from this like 
almost villainous role in our society, or at least in our city. Um, yeah. Yeah. So how do you how do you distinguish or understand your, your differences? Hmm. I mean, I was using terms like mission-based development. You know, like I heard people say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I you know, like I, I know that I understand the bottom line, I understand the numbers enough, but I also understand the return on doing this work is far greater than a monetary return that I just wanted to jump in and do it. You know, I've been a landlord already. I offer housing at a very below market rate purposely. I don't know. It's it's just a communal kind of village aspect that I, I think about it. Um, mm. I don't think about it as like, oh, I'm into real estate and I'm flipping houses. Like, no, like I have people who who have a background who who's doing the work. That's why it's a slower process, right? Um, we we partner with the Safer Foundation to do this so, you know, I can't really get upset that things are taking longer or, um, so I don't know. I don't know how to describe. No, it's not the, they want me in that space of like, oh, she's a local neighborhood developer. Um, but I know it's, it's more, it's more deeper than that. You know, it's, it's a, it's more, it's more rooted in community ownership, um, building generational wealth, um, having a pathway for other people to see that generational wealth, yeah. um, changing their minds a little bit—it's just all that in there. I gotta, I gotta get my vocabulary up too because I don't really know how to describe yeah, it. Just, you, just, you've been busy doing it. <laughs> no, yeah. you're doing it. It's way doing it is way more important than uh, than saying it. Uh, <laughs> but I guess what I'm hearing is just like just it's cooperative uh, as yeah. opposed to trying to capitalize off people you're trying to live with cooperate with yes. with folks and, and, and it's, it's building community um, and so you've used this word village uh, a lot of times and so I, I want to like just as I know we're, we're probably running low on time I want to be respectful of your time uh, just do a little bit of like before and after of this notion of village because um, you said something really beautiful you said you know I I believe I was hearing you say before crisis, y'all were having these village meetings that could be up to 150 residents. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just like phenomenal. There's really not yeah. many communities in the world, right? Like, cause a city is not a community, <laughs> you know, like an actual residential community yeah. where you could get 150 residents in any place anywhere. So that's like yeah. <laughs> significant. So I, I'm very curious of just how that functions and just like how you get through a meeting. Cause I yeah, get, I'm a master organ. I'm a master facilitator. Cause 15 I, people can stress me out. <laughs> so we, we got this 150 that was already gathering. You've contacted 300 folks. You've, you've, you've benefited people in real time with food and other supplies. You've done all this virtual organizing. At some point we'll be able to regather and these village meetings will continue. I just want to like, in your imagination or in your brain, hear and see a little bit of that, like before and after of this notion of this village meeting. Yeah. Um, so we had we've been thinking through it. You know, we we do them bi monthly, and so I think the beauty of that village meeting was it really is the village, right? It's 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 our elders, it's our young people, it's moms, it's dads, it's uncles, it's aunties. Um, it's guest speakers. It's information that's important to share. Um, it's facilitation of sometimes two sides that I have to facilitate and make sure that it's a it's a it's an understanding here. 
Um, and it's okay that, you know, residents are yelling at you or, or vice versa, right? Like we, we, that, cause that's part of the village and we're not going to always agree, but we can still be harmonious, right? And so I, I'm always thinking about ways like how do we break through that tension to still be harmonious? And so I don't know yet, um, the future of the village meetings and what they would be. I do know that people still want to, our motto is connect, build, and take action. So we're still connected. We're still building. Our take action, we are taking action. So those models are still in place. Um, how it looks for us in the future, I don't I don't know. But I think um, we were intentional on calling it a village meeting. We look at, and, and when we say that, that means everyone in this ecosystem matters. Um, everybody voice matters. Everybody issues or concerns or gifts matter. And so I'm, we're going to keep with that. You know, that's mm-hmm. how we've been able to build and that's how we're going to continue to build. Um, physically, I just don't know what it will look like. And the way we just kind of like jumped into this and now it's like, getting on people's nerves, the Zooms and the speakers and the webinar. So I don't, I don't know. I, I, I had thoughts around using our vacant lot again. We've used it before for healing. Mm. Um, we've gathered in that space before. It's enough for people to social distance. I was thinking about just um, maybe doing it there in a way outside where people are social, you know, distance and, they can still, we have a mic up and they can see slides the whole nine. So I, I don't know yet. I'm creative. So I, we'll see. People been wanting us to stream it for the longest. So so I don't, I'm going to see. I'm going to see. <laughs> I can tell you one thing that I'm sure you're not doing at your meetings. I bet not everyone's saying their name and checking in. No, we do that every every rip. 150 people saying 150, their name? And actually, we almost got kicked out of CPS um, at our last meeting. Because was I, so had I had a hundred people there. That's important. That's the first thing first. Um, we have to know who's in the room in order to connect. Yeah. So who are you? You know, what's your interests? And so the and everybody used to say, you gotta cut out the introductions. No, I can't. Because you're sitting next to somebody who does the same thing that you do or in the same field that you do, or on the same block as you, or has a resources to that. That's the that's the purpose of the introductions. Now on Zoom, I don't know how I'm going to do that. So that's why, <laughs> that's why I'm like, I'm not really feeling no Zoom village meeting just yet. Yeah. Um, because that's important to hear everybody's voice. But we, we, I tested out with our members. We had about 40 members and I just did, you know, my master facilitation and muted everyone and called on folks and let people wave when they were ready. Um, and so that worked. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. You are a hell of an adapter. I love it. It's so beautiful. Um, <laughs> and I stay in a moment. And I think that's important. Like, I, people are asking about our summers. We take over the parks in the summer, right? So we have over 500 people at these spaces in the park. Um, we have no clue what we're going to do with So Fresh Saturday this year. But like, I got to stay right here in the moment. I got to, you know, I got to handle what's in front of me and and I plan ahead. But I, I got to really go with this flow right now. And I think that's been the beauty of the work is you have to be adaptable. You have to flow because you never know when some global pandemic shows up, you know, or or anything else happens that yeah. that could that could try to push you down. So. 
my friend and I were saying that we've all been planning for the wrong apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> like on my bingo card, yes. I did not have pandemic. No. <laughs> Which comes way uh, before zombie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, last question, and it's a two-parter. Um, one, how can folks, including Damon and I, support the work that you're doing? Um, and, and where can folks find uh, ways to learn more and support? And, and then two, um, what's something that you've been doing, if not every day, close to every day, uh, to help yourself be more okay in this time? Yeah, so because like folks on the ground, and I put that in quotes, um, voices typically not amplified. Anyone helping to amplify our voices is helpful to what we do, to helpful to our movement. So this interview is helpful. Um, for rage, because it's going to probably reach some folks who had no clue who we were, what we we're doing. So I always say that anytime I'm in an interview, that's helpful. I'm an asset-based community person. So um, <laughs> even the technologies of learning to do things like this um, or having more platforms like this can help us and help get our message out. And then just making people aware of us um, online, we're, you know, rage underscore Inglewood on Instagram, and you could go on our website and people want to donate, they can, um, they could donate right online electronically. Um, if they have a skill or something that they heard through the work that could be helpful, either, um, through around housing, anything around public safety, around anything, we, we you know, we always are looking like, what other skills could we build upon? Um, so it might be just some professional stuff that people have access to that we don't or networks that people don't. That's about it. And then what I do daily, I try to exercise daily. Um, I try to do that walk um, from my house to Ogden Park, take pictures. I do meditation here and there, but I'm not like always. I just... I don't know. I just get up and I think about what I'm grateful for each day. Anytime I get in a Corona mood, I call it the Corona mood. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, look, what is what is your grateful list? What are you grateful for? You're not sick. You're not in a hospital. You don't have symptoms. Your family is well. You have a house. You have food. And then once you start going down that list, you like, why are you upset? You know, like, what? <laughs> you can't be yeah. upset. So that helps me just even just saying thank you every morning when I get up. Mm. Beautiful. Well, thank you for chopping it up with us. And I hope you have a wonderful walk today. Yeah. Thank I'm you. So, I will. I'm so watch yeah. ready. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so grateful for, for your time. I, I could have, uh, like sat here and do some like organized nerding with you. Uh, but I, I just gonna have to like, we have to do a one-on-one because there's so much yeah. um, um, knowledge that you, that you have that I just want us to, you know, appreciate. So we gas people up here. I want to affirm you for the, like the liberatory work that you're doing. Uh, I you. think oftentimes when we think of movement, uh, we can privilege uh, like state confrontation or like mobilization and direct action. Um, and it's very easy for there to be a shadow over like the more grounded community-based, place-based work. Uh, and so I'm just grateful to, to you know, have this conversation documented to learn lessons and I hope to be able to connect in many ways yes. going forward. So so much, much yes. gratitude and appreciation. All right, I'm going to say one thing and then I'm going to be Say fine. it. No, you're good. You're good. <laughs> so I think... People ask me all the time, like, how did you do rage and how did you organize these people? Um, 
And I could give them a playbook like, oh, we had a meeting, we did this and got on a conference call. But it's the philosophy behind your work. And and that's the part that you don't sometimes hear in those direct actions because it's more like fighting, right? We're going to fight for something. My philosophy has always been, what do we stand for? Because if I fight, I literally, this system, this racist system, Chicago, the machine, the politics, the devastation and, you know, concentrated areas of poverty, I would just go down, right? But if I stand for peace, if I stand for communal activity, collect, you know, having people go within to figure out what they can help on the outside. And if I continue to stand for that, it it never burdens me. Um, You're going to see a lot of organizers very, very drained because it's an emotional work. But you almost have to be um, more connected to what you're standing for than what you're fighting for. And so I always say, you know, no, we're not trying to stop violence because I don't even want to talk about violence. I want to create peace. Or no, you know, we're not. So it's a def, it's a philosophy. Um, and like I said, it's community development of the mind. And, it, and, it's a, and that's the real, that's always like the key formula or the secret sauce to real movements is the philosophy of that movement. Yeah. And it can spread on wherever you are in the city of Chicago. Mm. Really appreciate you. <laughs> and now oh. <that> is it. <laughs> yeah. what, what, a, what a great closer point. Glad we got that. <laughs> Thank you. I try not to stay in like soundbite mode. That's a damn. Wow. That's you just the shit. Yeah. That was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's get out of here before we, I fall over in praise. Um, oh, yeah. Y'all make me feel so good. Seriously. You deserve Thank it. You. Uh, you mentioned Rage underscore Englewood on the yeah. socials. Uh, org on, on our website, um, Resident Association, a great, if you just Google like Rage and Inglewood together, our, our site should come up, our Facebook should come up. Um, we was doing virtual organizing. That's how we started. So that was the first thing. So this is, we're very, very active on Twitter, on Instagram, you know, everything. And also in person and also in person. <laughs> <laughs> We're at Ergo Radio. Uh, I'm at Ergo Kiss. I'm at Damon underscore AF. And we will be back on the line showcasing another person reshaping the culture of Chicago for the more equitable and creative. Much love to the people. Peace. Rosie. Daniel. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Look who's here in the studio. It's me. How's it feel to be in here? Well, I was a little nervous uh-huh. earlier, but mm-hmm. now I'm a little more calm. Wonderful. And I'm staring directly <laughs> into your eyes. But we do that all the time anyway. Yeah, but there's not always all this equipment in between us. Well, maybe this will help. Let's play a game. Okay. So I'm thinking maybe like a taboo. Taboo. Like I'll give you some clues and then you'll have to guess what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Does that know, make sense? I know how to play taboo, Daniel. Oh, you'd prefer if I did not taboo-splain? Yes, please. All right, let's get started. Timer on the clock. Ooh. All right. First up. Okay. It's an independent podcast app. Got it. It embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. Mm-hmm. It has no exclusives. Mm-hmm. No premium content. All right. No paywalls. Great. And it's a great podcast app for everyone. Mm-hmm. Do you think you know it? I think I do. Huh. What do you think it is? Sounds like the Overcast app. Beep, 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 beep. Toots got it. Yay. Look at that. I win. Nicely done. How does one get the app? 
Well, if one were to want to get the app, one could get it for free in the App Store. Fantastic. Cool. You going to check it out? I might. Very wonderfully noncommittal. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's get out of here. Bye.